Thanks, Caroline. Morning, everybody. So I, this morning, am continuing slash finishing. It means you don't need to be a blessing anymore. Uh, the series on Blessed to be a Blessing, and I'm going to be talking about work, because it's the summer holidays, so that's what you want to hear about right now. Um, my first question to you is, what does your ideal workplace look like? It might look like the one you're in now, in which case that would be amazing and well done. It might look very, very different, or it might be somewhere in between. How much do you feel like you would be contributing to that ideal workplace? How much do you feel like others would need to contribute to that ideal workplace? How much would they need to change? You can be honest. And how much would it just be circumstances? Maybe it's the job you're in, or the hours you need to work, or your commute, or whatever. Just hold that in your, in your mind as we think about what it means to be a blessing, so that's us being a blessing in our workplace. So a little bit about me first. Um, I went to university, I studied politics, because, you know, like a good argument, like a good debate, like lots of reading, etc. And I thought, because, you know, I was 18, I'm going to change the world. And I still think that. But I realized, you know, it's not going to work out as simply as that. I'm not just going to go to university, do the politics thing, go into the development organization and have meaningful work in that way where I can see very clearly the world was worse yesterday. I went to work, me, and then it's better today. I believe that. Maybe not as explicitly as that, but, you know, in there somewhere. And as I came out of university and started to think about where I needed to go and what I needed to do, I felt God call me into teaching because, you know, I'm a Christian woman. It's a pretty normal thing. And uh, I don't really need to say more about teaching. Most of you will know what it's really like. It's not the films where you go in to the deprived school and we're all like dancing and they will hate you at first, but then they really like you by the end. It's, it's a normal job. Some days you go in, you think, yeah, I may have made a difference to that child today. Other times, honestly, you're just banging your head against a wall going, I swear we've gone over this 72 billion times. You still don't know what I'm talking about. This is really annoying. So one day, hopefully, I will be in work where I go, I can see that this is making a difference. I can see that this has meaning. I can see that I am being a blessing. And as I was preparing this, this talk, you know, it's been a hard year for me in work. Uh, I haven't always felt like work has blessed me. And you're probably in a position where you know what that's like. Maybe your work is the thing that brings you a lot of life, and that's amazing. But you will have also had times where that's not the case. And so my big question, really, that I've been wrestling with is, what does it look like for work, for us to be a blessing, when work is not a blessing to us? So, I, you know, I don't know where you, where you work. Uh, I don't know whether you're part-time, you're full-time, you, maybe you're retired and you're doing more work than you've ever done before. Maybe you work for a stroppy two-year-old and they're your boss. Maybe you work for a stroppy 62-year-old who really should know better. Or maybe you work for both because you're on maternity leave and you're in the best of both worlds. You might be in the job of your dreams or a job of your nightmares. You might work for a Christian organization 
or it might be you know, secular, like me, or somewhere in between. I don't know. What I do know is that we are working, on average, as a British worker, if we go to the next slide, Phil, we are working apparently 32 hours a week, which seemed really low to me, but I'm a teacher, so you know, I don't know what that means. And that's declined. So we're working less hours. But in the midst of that, only about 64% of people said they felt satisfied in their job, and that's a 10% drop. 59% of people said they felt a strong commitment to their organization, to their work, to the career that they were in, and that's also been a decline. So even though we might be working less hours, on average, we're less overworked, we're feeling less and less satisfied with where we're at and the jobs that we are in. Culturally, these are funny, so you should take a minute to have a look at them. Culturally, work is not necessarily seen as this wonderful thing. The Monday morning feeling, the, you know, the going back to the grind, all of these things are things that we say. You know, I really like, I really resonate with the one when you're about to leave work and the boss says, before you go, that's quite a lot of my life. So in this place, and I'm not trying to say work is awful and it's a real drain, but in this place of work just culturally not being seen as this source of life and a place where we go, you know what, I'm going to be a blessing in this environment. How can we catch the vision of God for our workplace and seek to be a blessing? Now, what I know is that God is a good father and that he is proud of what you do in your workplace every day. So do not hear this as work is really hard and now I'm being told they need to do all of this other stuff on top of it. No, God is proud of what you're doing right now in your workplace. You are doing a good job. How can we, though, sharpen ourselves, understand the opportunities in front of us? How can we be a greater blessing and understand the ways that we have been blessed? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we can see that work is an integral part from the very beginning of God's plan for us and for humanity. It says in Genesis 2 verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. It was God's design that we work and that we display his nature. So to collaborate with one another, to create, to put order into things where there is chaos. I know a lot about that. Maybe you do too. And so what does it look like to be a blessing and to do this really well? So we're going to be looking at a passage from Daniel today. Um, the background for Daniel is everything has gone wrong. The nation of Israel that was promised uh, from Moses, they've done lots of life. They've had lots of warnings. Israel and Judah have split in half. Israel was taken into exile quite a while before this. Um, we see that in 2 Kings 17 by the king of Assyria. Judah stuck around for a few more generations with some kings that didn't really do a very good job. You've got lots of the minor prophets saying, stop doing what you're doing. It's going to go wrong. And people carry on and carry on and carry on. So Daniel begins uh, when King Jehoiakim has been in power for three years and the Babylonians come, they besiege Jerusalem and they launch other attacks on other kings before the whole thing falls down later on. So we start Daniel 1 at that point, and we're going to read through together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And at that point, the first year of King Cyrus, that's when the, uh, the Israelites began to return to Jerusalem. They were given permission to go and rebuild the temple. You see that in Ezra and Nehemiah. So Daniel was there for the whole time that these people had been taken into exile. He served under four different kings. And we look at this passage, and it's, it's a bit weird. We're talking about work, and this is a very unusual workplace. I'm going to give you that. So what, it, what can we get from it about being a blessing in our workplace. And we're going to look, because we're Christians, we're going to look at it in three different ways. Sorry, had to do it. Firstly, being a blessing to our employer. Boo. It's really a blessing to our employer. The employer in this situation, again, unusual. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good man in any way. He did not deserve in our sense of the word, for people to work for him at all, and particularly to do a good job. We need to remember the context. These were young men who were picked out because they were attractive, they were clever, etc., so they weren't killed. Good bar. 
and they were taken in and he said, you're going to do a good job for me. I don't know about you, I, I would not be in any mood to do a good job for this person. And yet we see that as they went through and they worked, and we're going to look at that in a bit more depth, God selected them. Daniel was chosen to reveal the plans of God to a foreign king in a foreign land and to bring transformation in that place. So firstly, they were selected for their talents and gifts that they already had from God. They were clever people. They were able to be trained. They were able to be taught. It says Nebuchadnezzar gave them to Ashpenaz to train them up. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They were to be trained for three years. And they submitted to that training. They went, yeah, you know what? I would rather be not here, but I'm going to submit to the training because that's what I know that I need to do. And this is what I need to do for the job in front of me. We're called as people of God to be professionally excellent. And I think sometimes we can feel a bit, I don't know, just a bit awkward about being awesome at our jobs. Like you are allowed to be incredible at your job. You're allowed to be the best accountant, the best teacher, the best professor, the best nurse, the best mom, the best whatever it is. You are allowed to be professionally excellent. And there is a call from God for us to pursue professional excellence. That is not pride. It is pride when we start going like, I'm amazing at my job. This is what gives me all my identity. If we say to God, actually, God, thank you for all the gifts you've given me. That is what equips me to be amazing at my job. We've got no issue. You're allowed to be excellent. There's a call to be excellent at our jobs and to serve our employers with our excellence and to bring all of us, all of our gifts to the table. We're called to invest ourselves fully with where we're at, no matter what the job is or who the employer is. Not to withhold ourselves, even if it's not the dream. For me, honestly, teaching is not my dream. It's not the job I'm like, I'm so excited to get up in the morning and go and do this. It's just not. I can do it. But the call is to invest where we're at, to settle. When Jeremiah prophesies over these people who've been carried into exile, that very famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, oh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The bit after that is him going, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to be taken out and rescued right now. Settle, build, invest. Do whatever you need to do in this place. Invest as hard as you can, not to withhold our energies and talents just because it's not the dream. We're called to demonstrate God's nature fully in our work, to work hard and to work to be better. We should be the hardest workers and the most proud workers in our workplace. God builds on their gifts as they submitted to their training. So it says in verse 17, to those four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. We get to ask God for his wisdom in our workplace. And this is something that I've seen in, in my life. My workplace is, you know, it is hard at times. My boss is a very interesting woman. Uh, it's quite, be quite a toxic environment. And just saying to God, what, what do you need me to do in this situation? I have no idea. This, I could do something. I could react. I could work out my own strength. What is your wisdom? Even down to things like, right, I have 79 things on my to-do list. I wrote 
right list as first one, so I could tick off a moral encouragement, but 78 things on the list. What order should I do these in? Because actually, I'm really struggling to prioritize. I'm too stressed out. And in that way, I've always found God comes through and says, right, do these things. And for some reason, everything just gets done. When I panic and just start hitting everything, it doesn't get done. We get to ask him for wisdom and he builds on it. Daniel repeatedly sought God for what he should do. Be someone that your employer can depend upon, to be relied upon, and ask God always for the wisdom that he wants to bring you. So after these three years, after all this process and submitting, they're finally brought before the king. It says in verse 19 and 20, the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they enter the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They're recognized for their skills and gifts after they submit to that process and commit to the work in front of them. And God gives them favor. It's kind of, it's, I know it's quite an American word, but it is in the Bible. So God gives them favor with their employer as they submitted to the process. I've, I've found this in my workplace as I've kind of gone, right, I'm going to work super hard. Where maybe other people seem to be treated more harshly. I don't, I don't really understand the mechanics of it, but it seems like sometimes there's a respect and a drawing upon in a way that I haven't necessarily earned more than other people, but I've prayed and I've invested. And God has been faithful in providing that favor. And it says, now God had caused the official Ashpenaz to show favor and sympathy to Daniel in a place where Daniel has no power. He has no right to be making the request that he is, but there is sympathy and favor for him. So leading on from that, second way, we can be a blessing to our colleagues and those that we work around. Blessing to our employer and working hard. Blessing to our colleagues and those we work with. Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they set the culture, is what we see in this passage, not the other way around. They were uncompromising in their values and the way that they lived in front of God. And we see so many attempts to try and change them and to make them different. They were given Babylonian names. If you went into your workplace and they said, mm, you're not called that anymore. Actually, I want you to be called this because it works better for me. That, this just wouldn't happen. You'd be outraged. They're given completely different names. It doesn't change their identity. It doesn't seem to matter. They just kind of go, all right, that makes you happy. They were given different food to eat. And it says from the king's table, which means that it would have been sacrificed to the Babylonian gods first and then presented. We know that they were, they were asked in so many ways to become Babylonians, not the people of God that they knew they were. We know in the words of Jesus, we're called to be you know, in the world, not of the world. We're told not to conform to the patterns of this world. It's not about being superior and going in going, I'm better than you, therefore I'm not going to be like you and you all need to be like me. That's not what this passage is suggesting, but it's about having integrity to the values that we know that God has and the values that he's put in us as we live in Jesus. It says in Daniel 1 that we looked at, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Later on in the story in Daniel 6, when they're looking for ways to try and trick Daniel to try and 
uh, trip him up because they're jealous of him. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct in governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. We see him uncompromising in Daniel 3, where they say, right, you're going to bow down to this statue of this king. And he says, no. And him and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are thrown into the fire and God rescues them. We see it in Daniel 6 after this, where they trip him up and they say, you're not allowed to pray to God. And he goes, no, I'm going to pray to God. It doesn't matter what you do to me. And he's thrown in the lion's den and God rescues him out again. It's a pretty extreme day at work, granted. Hopefully that doesn't happen to anyone here. If it does, you can get prayer afterwards. In in every circumstance, God is faithful to Daniel and his friends. And those around him are changed, not the other way around. And we're in the world to transform it in every sphere of our lives with the values of God. What values are we talking about? Well, we see this discipleship of others in this relationship between Daniel and Ashpenaz. So it says, verse 10 to 16, I'm just going to summarize some of it, where he says, I'm afraid to give you this food. Like, why, why would I do that? The king's told me I have to. Don't screw me up on this, mate. Just be cool. Take the food. And Daniel says, no, no, no. Okay, fine. Let's test it. I'm going to do this for 10 days. You see afterwards. And, you know, the implication is, if we're looking worse and a bit skinny and you're going to get in trouble, we'll go back. But Daniel knew who his God was. What happens at the end of it When they compare the appearance, it says, with the young men who eat the raw food, what happens is they realize that Daniel and his friends look so much better than the other people. So what happens is the other people have their choice royal food taken away from them and they're given vegetables instead. I'm sure they were really happy with that. But the culture changes because Daniel had the courage to stand up in a place where he had, yeah, no power but he knew who his God was and the fact that God would come through for him. Through his fasting and obedience, the culture around them changed, not the other way around. We're called to disciple our colleagues through the way that we conduct ourselves. And that could be our Christian colleagues. If you work in a Christian workplace, everyone's on a different journey. You'll be encouraging one another in different ways. There were the Israelite princes who weren't in that little group of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would have seen their example of following God and have had thoughts of, hold on, why are you so determined to be faithful? We don't know what that's like. We've lost sight of it and would have been called back. But also to those who didn't believe. The Babylonians had their own gods, but to Ashpenaz and even the king we see through Daniel, he is called again and again to follow the God of gods and the Lord of lords. So how could this play out in your workplace? How could this play out in mine? standing up for what's right where there is injustice in Daniel 2 Nebuchadnezzar goes into a wild fit of rage because the the uh, magicians can't tell him what his dream was not just what it meant but they couldn't tell him what his dream was and he says right you're all going to be executed including Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Benigo because they were just there And Daniel hears this story and he goes to Ariok, who's the king's commander, and it says, with wisdom and tact, which is something my mother tells me to pray for every day, (laughs) and asked, 
why, why has he been so harsh? And he goes to the king and he asks for some time. He goes and he prays with his friends for the solution. And he goes back to Arioch and he says, don't, don't execute these wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret the dream for him. And he interprets the dream and the wise men are saved. It had nothing to do with how, uh, what the moral character, with the skill of the wise men. They were kind of just sat there going, oh, we can't do it. It's way too hard. He saved those people. He stood up for what was right when actually he didn't, he didn't have to. But he knew what the right thing to do was and he had the courage to do that. There have been times in my workplace where people have been treated quite poorly. And, you know, I'm a union rep. I'm obliged to do this as well. But I stepped into that role because there's something in me where I can't, I can't stand to see people being treated badly. And it means sometimes you do have to take a risk kind of standing in front of this train and going, you know what, actually, this isn't right. And hopefully your workplace isn't this hostile. I really hope that for you. But if it is, and there are those situations, we know we can pray to God for the courage of what to say, wisdom and tact. He didn't go in like a bull in a china shop, kicking off, saying, no, you can't do this. He went in with wisdom and tact and asked God to come through. We can treat people with kindness and patience and gentleness and treat them with respect, loving your colleague as you love yourself. Be a safe place for people to make mistakes rather than highlighting it, helping them to fix it maybe, looking out for them. We can see that Daniel preferred others. He dignified others. He was non-competitive. When he was given a status, he asked for his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to also be given positions with him because he knew what God had put in their lives. Be a good listener. Give credit where credit is due. Don't succumb to that temptation the world does of viewing others by how good they are at their jobs or how much financial value they bring in and saying that is what they are worth in this situation. Be an encourager, one who lifts others up. He says, you know what, you did a good job in that. We know that people don't say that enough. We get to be those people and be trustworthy. How many workplaces are not trustworthy? Little kitchen conversations here, gossip, negative intimacy. Oh yeah, no, I don't like that either. And it's really annoying when that person does this. My workplace is like that. And it's so easy to accidentally end up on the fringes of it. And you're like, I'm not going to really, I'm not gossiping really, but I'm kind of dipping my toe a little bit because I said something and I kind of listened and... Maybe I didn't go pass it on because I'm a Christian, so I'm not meant to do that, but like, I was definitely there. What does it look like for us to actually not engage in that and to be a reliable place that people know they can come, to be encouraged and to be listened to? What kind of culture do we want? I asked you at the beginning, what's your ideal workplace? What role do we have to play in that? We have a pivotal role. And lastly, our work should be a blessing to God. Work is worship. We saw at the beginning that work is part of the plan. It's what God designed us to do. It says uh, in Ephesians 6, and this was a passage that was written to slaves. Similar to Daniel, similar context, but in the New Testament. It says, obey them, the masters, it says earlier in the passage, not only to win favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. What is our motive for our work? 
that's probably the prime source of dissatisfaction. If we go into work with a motivation that is different or less than just bringing glory to God and going, you have given me this, I'm going to bring glory to you. At some point down the line, we're going to grow dissatisfied with it. Daniel 5, it talks about King Belshazzar, another king, saying to Daniel, right, it's a cool story, actually, you should read it. There's a hand that's appeared and it's written some words on a wall. And he says to his magicians and enchanters, right, I'm going to give you loads of stuff if you can interpret it for me. And they all go, we can't do it, sorry. They go to Daniel and Daniel goes to him and he says, right, I'll give you, it says, uh, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll be the third highest ruler. And Daniel says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. There was no sense of, I need to be rewarded for this thing. I'm going to give it because this is what I know I need to do and what is going to bring glory. We can work from just basic survival. We know that we need to put food on the table. But if that's all work ever is to us, that is going to drain very, very quickly. If we fear not having enough, and that's why we work It's going to be an interesting place. If we're constantly seeking people's praise and affirmation and for a pat on the back, and for someone to say, actually, you did a really, really great job. Again, we're going to be searching for that for our whole lives because we're never going to feel satisfied. Maybe it is. We we want more stuff. We want to earn more money. We want the promotion. Or maybe it is ambition. We want more power. We want more status in our workplace to seek promotion from man. Now, none of those things are necessarily bad in themselves. Being told well done, being rewarded for your work is a good thing. And actually, a lot of those are biblical things. But when they become our prime motivators for work, instead of work being worship to God, all of those are coming from a negative place of lack, of I need affirmation, I need money to survive, I need this, I need that, I don't have this. If we can switch our perspective and ask God to switch our perspective to work being something that seeks to honour him, as worship, then we're going to find it a lot easier to just let the blessing just flow out of us, to see ourselves as blessed and go, right, God, how can I be a blessing? It's not an extra bit of work to do. It's just, God, how can I honor you today? And let the blessing flow out. So to summarize, we're called to be a blessing to our employer and those who work around us through hard work, through having character, through being uncompromising. We're called to transform the culture around us. We're called to invest intentionally and to pray and to ask God for his wisdom. But more than anything, we're asked to see work as worship and to choose and to have the discipline to see it as that and to ask God to transform our motivations and our feelings sometimes about it on those hard days. Daniel is an inspirational worker. I am not like that on every and every day and almost no days. But I know that God is pleased with the work that I do. It's just how we can actually take ourselves and move ourselves into a place where we can bring greater transformation. We are transformed to bring transformation in our workplace. So I want you to to think again about that question I asked you at the beginning. What is your ideal workplace? What does it look like? What role would you have in changing it for the better? Yes, other people need to change and circumstances need to change. And we can ask God to change all those things. But how can we change to bring greater transformation? 
And we can ask the Holy Spirit to equip us in all the things that we need so we can be a greater blessing. I'd like to pray for you as we finish off. God, I thank you for this example that we see in Daniel of someone who poured themselves out no matter what, no matter how terrible the situation, who had a vision from you of, of what needed to happen. God, I pray that we would be a people who are known for the hard work that we do, for the blessing that we are, that we would be transformers of culture, not people who fade into the background. Would you give us your courage, Holy Spirit, to step out? Would we be known by our deeds and our great love for one another, but also for those who don't know you? I pray you'd be showing us, Jesus, what, what are the areas that we need to grow in? Where do we need to be encouraged by you? Where are the opportunities in front of us? to be a blessing in really simple ways? And would we see transformation in our workplaces across this city, Jesus? In your name, amen.